Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. All right, my next guest today has joined us before. Uh, he's an expert in the field of asset protection. Uh, his name is Craig Redler from Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group. And we've talked in the past about, uh, uh, well, asset protection strategies, and he's got some unique experiences in, the, in that way. But today we're going to talk about something called personal retirement plans. Uh, so, Craig, uh, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me again today. Thanks, Bill. It's my, my pleasure to be here. My pleasure, Craig. We we had some great comments from our last interview, and it was really interesting. Uh, you have some interesting uh, experiences, uh, uh, but g- give our listeners a sense of uh, a little bit about your background, um, who might not have heard the past interview, and uh, the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group and what you do there. Sure. Um, like I discussed before, it, it bears repeating. I, I took an interesting path to get here. I'm originally from the, the Midwest, practiced law there for decades, and did making little air quotes here that you can't see on the radio, but routine estate planning. We did bills, <laughs> trust, probate, and things like that. Uh, and had an opportunity to take a position with an offshore trustee in the Cook Islands of all places. So moved from St. Louis, Missouri, to Rarotonga in the Cook Islands, which are culturally almost identical. You'd be shocked. And uh, That was a joke. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I got it. We <laughs> went right to work for a, a an offshore trustee that specializes in um, – asset protection planning for largely American clients and uh, learn the biz from from that side and and with that company they ultimately moved me to New Zealand and I went to work for another company also in New Zealand so I went from Rarotonga to Taranga New Zealand all these uh, Maori names and then jumped up to Auckland to work for a bigger company and ultimately got transferred by that company back to um, Miami Florida where I reacquainted with Jeff and Jeff is just absolutely one of the giants in asset protection. He's been there since the very beginning of the industry, mm-hmm. was was uh, in tight with the people that actually wrote the, the legislation. The legislation there was, was written with a lot of input from American attorneys, and uh, Jeff was associated with one of the primary attorneys that, that put that uh, those statutes together. And if you ask anybody that knows anything about this industry, name the top three asset protection law firms in America. Jeff would be in every one of those conversations. So working here has been an honor. And I thought, boy, over at the, in the Cook Islands, I'm gonna, I know everything there is to know about asset protection. And I, I just didn't. Jeff is just a wizard when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, when they talk about asset protection planning, you know, one of the key tenets of it when you're especially uber wealthy is to make your assets uh, uh, 
reside far away or the people that make those decisions reside far away. So uh, the Cook Islands is, I think, when, when you look on a map, you realize, oh, it's it's very far away. And how many flights are there to the Cook Islands, uh, uh, Craig? From like, here, one a one week. A, from the United States, one, one a week. week. So, okay. yeah, it, it's All hard right. to get too much more remote than the Cook Islands. Now, now a lot of people have the misconception that, that uh, this this type of planning is – uh, they've they've heard about offshore trusts and taxes evasion and all that kind of stuff. This isn't about that at all. It's more about putting roadblocks between your your assets and your creditors, right? That, that's it. It's just sensible planning. It, it's just a way to make sure that when you retire, you know, if you talk about estate planning, well, estate planning doesn't do any good if you don't have an estate when you retire. So it, it, it's all about just making sure that, that you, you keep yourself in as financially a healthy a position as you can. And really, in the United States, uh, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. It's We're litigation happy here, and a lot of people get sucked into these things and and shouldn't be. And I've seen it from the trustee side, and I've seen it since I've been here. And it's it's just rational and perfectly legal and ethical steps to protect your 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 hard-earned money. Yeah, and especially for for you listening that own a business, which is a fairly complex asset. But someday you might sell that business for a large amount of cash, for instance, and all of a sudden that cash is sitting in a bank account. And if that bank account is not well protected in some way, shape, or form, you could be a target for for litigation easily uh, uh, can, can be attached if it's not protected properly. And one of the things that, you know, our listeners hate, Craig, is the, the notion of, you know, I, they, do, they do so much already for all of their employees. They, they have benefits, they have workers' comp insurance, they have a variety of different expenses and costs, and they wonder, you know, what can I do just for myself, especially when it comes to planning for retirement, and again, a lot of our listeners are family businesses where they're not necessarily going to sell to a big outside buyer. It might be a family transition, and they just need to know that there's some money put away um, successfully and protected so that they can access that for, for their retirement. Um, so let's talk about this, this notion of personal retirement plans. And I think when we say that, a lot of people think, well, what do you mean, an IRA account? We're not talking about that. In this, at this, in this conversation, anyways, let's talk about what is a personal retirement plan, uh, as you refer to it. A personal retirement plan is a really, really interesting tool that's available, as far as I know, only to Californians. And California is not an extraordinarily debtor-friendly state, by and large, and and generally most of of the laws. Are, are burdensome on the business owners. This, this is one exception, and it is, it is a gem of a little law that most people don't really know about. Uh, it is not a 401k. It's not an IRA. It's a non-qualified plan uh, that, that any California resident can set up, and it basically allows you to convert assets, and it's very flexible as to what assets you can, you can use to fund one of these things, from non-exempt to exempt. So exemption planning is the highest level of asset protection, and, and we started this conversation talking about offshore tools. This is done in, uh, entirely locally, or entirely in the state of California. You can use a local bank. You can use uh, local assets, and it's, not, it's a completely different approach to asset protection. When, when you're going offshore, you're basically saying to your creditor, I'm not collectible. 
these, these assets are no longer mine. They are, to the extent you, you might be able to trace them to me, they're out of your reach. Where this is a completely different philosophy. The philosophy here is, yeah, the assets are there. They belong to the, the potential judgment debtor, but they're just off the table. They're just not subject to being seized in any kind of uh, legal proceeding. Interesting. So, and so there must be some uh, complex steps to accomplish that. And again, most people that think about anything having to do with anything called a retirement plan think, well, what is this? Do I have to do it for everybody? Do I have to do it for um, uh, what if I, you know, what if I already have a 401k or something like that? Well, tell us what some of the differences are from that um, uh, the qualified plan versus, as you call it, the non-qualified plan, which is a tax term. It, it doesn't affect the qualified plans, and and then you mentioned the tax term, so it's probably worth. Um, I mean, most people know what we're talking about, but by a qualified plan, it's it's something that that qualifies to exist pursuant to a statute called ERISA, and generally the qualified plans give you some kind of tax advantage. This California private retirement plan doesn't give you any kind of it's tax neutral, so it's not going to save you tax. It's not going to cost you tax. But uh, in exchange for that, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily versatile in some other areas. With qualified plans, you're limited to how much you can use to fund them per year. With this, this plan, you're not. So if you've gotten a late start, if you're in your 50s or 60s and you're behind and you need to, to fund it with a, a large sum of money in a, in a lump sum, you can do that. Uh, again, unlike qualified plans where you have to consider other employees in the company, this one you can set it up just for you, the business owner, or key people in the in the company or in the organization. You don't have to make it available to everybody. Uh, it, it's it's extraordinarily versatile in that way. And, and again, as to the classes of assets that you can use to fund it, which is virtually anything that you're not presently consuming. So you can't put your current residence in it because you're living there and you're consuming it. But you can put virtually anything else. Yeah, and a lot of people would um, would say, well, you know, with my qualified plan, I get a I get a tax deduction going in, but the downside is that you have to, if you have employees, you have to include eligible employees in your calculations. And um, if you're trying to put away a lot, you're going to hit a limit at some point as to how much you can put aside on at least an annual basis for a qualified plan. And uh, again. Uh, within the non-qualified plan uh, like this, it sounds like uh, you can always use a tax-deferred uh, type of a vehicle if you're looking for tax advantages on the growth and distribution of your assets. Like some people turn to life insurance policies or annuities or things like that if they want tax deferral. Or uh, it sounds like you can put just about anything you want into it, right? Excellent point. Yes, you can, and, and, that, and many people do, and those are the kind of assets they'll use to fund it. Uh, just for that reason, you, you get your tax deferral, so it's almost it's almost having your cake and eating it too. But the key the key of this really is that you exceed the limits established, and you can just do this for you can single yourself out, or maybe even can you add in uh, key employees if you want to just single out a few people in your company? Absolutely. Absolutely. Each each uh, employee that you want to make uh, a participant in the plan, you've got a master plan, a corporate plan, and, and each one can have a sub-trust. And, uh, yes, it's extraordinarily versatile in that respect. It can be just the owners. It can be key people. Uh, again, it, it doesn't have any of the requirements that you'd find in a qualified plan. Yeah, and that's that's becoming very, very, you know, because, you know, for most people, 
people that are business owners. They say, well, I get to a point and it's like, I feel like I've, I've helped my employees. I've given them some kind of a program where they can put their own money in and I'll match it or maybe even make a contribution. But I need to do a lot more because my lifestyle's different or I need to lock in key employees because if they leave my, you know, my, my hopes of selling my business might go down the tubes because they're the oper- they're the real true, you know, people that run the business and I want to leave <laughs> when I sell my right. business. I, I want to leave right. and I want to leave them behind and I want to make sure they're tied in. So when we, when we, uh, when we look at this, uh, PRP, the personal retirement plan, versus a qualified IRA or 401k. I think we've already talked about the, the the tax differences. How difficult is it to set something like this up? Uh, you need a third-party administrator, and you have to respect the plan just like you would an IRA or 401k. If if you use it like a personal savings account or an ATM machine, it, it will fail if it's ever challenged. Um, so the, the the trick is, and, and here's the thing, and, and let me focus on a term that you just used. You mentioned lifestyle. And the policy behind this, and, and by the way, this is an old statute. It goes back to the 70s. It's been around for a long time, longer than ERISA has, in fact, uh, is to maintain lifestyle. And that, that's the policy behind this. The state looks at it and says, if you can fund your lifestyle, we, the state, doesn't have to. So the, the, the key to making this work is to be able to lay a foundation that that's what you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this to maintain my lifestyle. So what mm-hmm. we do to set it up is we, we do a series of analytics where we determine and calculate with the assistance of a, a third-party administrator, a partner that we work with, uh, to determine what your, your, your requirements are going to be at retirement. Uh, we lay the foundation for that, so if anybody were to come and challenge the plan, we can say, no, here's, here's the lifestyle we're trying to preserve, and uh, uh, do the calculations based on that, how much you can put in, how much you can in- anticipate taking out post-retirement, and uh, those are the requirements. You, you, you have to do the analytics to make sure that it's consummate with your, your lifestyle, and uh, treat it like you know, the respect the integrity of the plan really is. is That's why you, you need a third party. Well, just like a pension plan has an actuary that determines things like life expectancy based on published tables that are out there, and income, you know, income needs based on your current income, maybe times some kind of a percentage, and then some kind of an inflation factor for determining. Those are those are some of the common factors, aren't they? Precisely, precisely. And, and the other thing that's that's interesting about the California statute is it, it it's fairly thin in retire or in, in defining what is retirement. So it, it it's a very flexible definition of retirement, also. So you can, when the time comes, you're retired when you're retired. So you're not locked into at a certain age you have to take required minimum distributions and things like that. So it, it's there when you need it, and you can defer it until you need it. So one of the key tenets I've seen behind these things is that, you know, you have to uh, you have to set the rules, and you have to follow what rules you set. Uh, like you said, you can't just put it in for a couple years and then just take it out. You, you, it, there has to be kind of a set of rules uh, around this, and that's consistent with the way the IRS treats all. Um, 
non-qualified deferred comp and those types of plans under Section 409A, they call it, in the IRS, in the IRC, the Internal Revenue Code. Um, so it, you, you just basically have to have a framework of experts determining what your uh, potential limits could or should be. And then from there, uh, the, the dollars reside where you want them to be, but if you want tax benefits, you're looking for tax-advantaged investments, I, I take it. And then uh, the administrator basically is someone you go to and say, give me a report and pay me out when it's time to pay me out? Exactly. And the, the administrator is making sure that you follow those rules. It's making sure that any necessary reporting is done. It's basically protecting the integrity of the plan. Okay, so so how how airtight are these when it comes to the we're talking about this exemption planning uh, versus asset protection planning? How how airtight are these if you are sued at some point? If they're set up properly and you follow the rules, they're very good. And like any any kind of of asset protection or or any kind of planning at all, the, the earlier you do it, the better. Uh, unlike an offshore trust. And, and keeping in mind that the purpose of these things is always maintaining lifestyle post-retirement. You know, the, mm -hmm. the purpose can never be primarily asset protection. And it's, it's like any kind of asset protection planning. If you've got a giant lawsuit hanging over your head and you start scrambling around and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose everything. And, and you rush and set one of these things up, it probably is going to fail. Uh, if, if Now, having said that, there is no prima facie rule that if you set it up in the midst of a crisis, it's automatically uh, mm -hmm. uh, avoidable transaction or fraudulent transfer, like it might be with more conventional asset protection. It, again, if, if the case can be made that it is for lifestyle preservation post-retirement, you're, you're probably okay. But, but the, the short answer to your question is the earlier you do it, the, the more formally you treat it, they become pretty they they protect you they're they're fairly strong i mean it it's it's yeah. an example where the state literally has your back and you, you don't see that very much you, no, got, you the don't. state of california <laughs> literally saying all right you did this right these assets are off the table they are they are not in the discussion when you're talking about what kind of assets are exposed to creditors and usually really in, in california the business owner thinks the only thing they've got on their back is a target not a, not <laughs> not the, the help of the state of california so and this is the the, the one a beautiful exception to that yeah and and so this is uh you know again this is not something you would likely hear about from your benefits broker because this starts in a in a legal office doesn't it Typically, yes, and, and there's not a huge financial incentive for financial planners to do these things. Um, you know, and it, it really, frankly, it, it's just something that a lot of people just don't even know about. Uh, yes. I, we, we lecture on this, and we, we lecture in front of attorneys and financial planners, and Jeff and I usually start the conversation with how many people have, have heard of these or use these, and it's shocking how very few people have 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 not only not utilized them, but aren't even aware that they exist. And this statute goes back to, don't quote me, but it's the early 70s. Uh, I don't know the exact year, but it's been around for, you know, over 40 years. And uh, they're not extraordinarily common. Now, if, if someone, for instance, uh, a typical business owner 
pays themselves a, a nominal, you know, reasonable but nominal wage. They don't max out their wages uh, because of tax purposes, for instance. And um, would they would they do well to consult with someone like yourself well in advance so they can get that get those numbers right before they start approaching their funding of something like this? Yeah, when when the the first step we do is we run the analytics I mentioned before and and we calculate what is reasonable in terms of being able to take out of the plan post retirement and and that's an excellent point. A lot of that does is going to rely on your current wages. So if if you're making $150,000 a year today and someone were to challenge the plan that's going to pay you 300,000 after you retire, it's it's difficult to justify that. I think it it would be a fair question to say, well, why do you need 300,000 after you retire when you've lived during your working career on 150? So th- those are all issues that we would discuss before setting up the plan and and put you in the most advantageous position to make it work for you. So so let's say uh, our typical audience member is a baby boomer who's saying, you know, I want to get ready. Uh, for my exit in the next five years, and it might be I want to turn the business over to to my children, for instance, or my key employees, because eight out of ten business owners have a tough time finding a market for their business. And uh, to do that, you know, I'm going to have to risk my future cash flow. That I, that I'm going to have to risk that my kids can make a go of this business. So in advance of that, I'd like to start putting some money somewhere where if if it doesn't work out for whatever reason at least I'm protected uh, from potential future claims. It, would this be a, a, a pretty good place to get started in, in their planning and start thinking about? It would be a great place to start. And one thing with asset protection planning in general, uh, and I think it, there's there's a lot of, of um, uh, it's simpatico with the show in that when you exit your business under any number of scenarios, you're, you're – you're exposed uh, for whatever reason, be it the next generation runs it improperly or the people you sell it to have a problem with the the financials you provided them when they're doing due diligence or whatever. It's not uncommon, and we see it here a lot, that people who have gotten out of businesses have to to deal with uh, liability arising out of that business years after they're gone. Um, yeah, yep. with one of these plans, you're in you're in a, a, a real good position to where that you know the effect of something like that would be um, mitigated. So again, once again, you've demonstrated how uh, the Jeffrey uh, Verdon Law Group is is ahead of the pack when it comes to helping business owners to think about these issues. That you know, just because you sell your business, that doesn't mean you're in the clear. That that means you're uh, you're at risk. Uh, I guess in the in the mergers and acquisition world, uh, Craig, they say that the first check cashes, the second one's late, and the third one might not come. <laughs> but the worst, the worst scenario is you, you may get a, you may get served uh, to to take back what you've taken. So uh, it, it's imperative that that our listeners uh, think about these types of strategies. And what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and talk about this? Uh, you can give me a call. My direct dial is 949-333-8149. Um, we're in, in uh, uh, Newport Beach, 949-333-8149. Or go to our website, jmvlaw.com, jmvlaw.com. Uh, we'd be happy to, to have a preliminary conversation on the phone, have you in, talk about what's on your mind, and see how we can put you in a better position than you're in now. 
Well, the, the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group has long been a friend of this show, and Craig, I really appreciate you coming on once again and, and clarifying a, a, a topic that I think is uh, on the mind uh, of a lot of people. If it's not on your radar screen, uh, it maybe should be. You ought to be thinking about some of the ways that you can protect your assets uh, as you as you think about your exit. So, Craig, thank you once again for uh, for coming on the show and helping us out here. I really appreciate it. Always my pleasure. And, and if I could say one more thing, just do, what you just said, I think is is spot on. And if you have you have liquid assets that are just sitting out there, one of these plans just wraps them in a firewall, and and it's just a better place to be than just to have them exposed. It's low hanging fruit to creditors. Lock them up. Good advice. Uh, thank you once again. I uh, look forward to the next time we uh, we get to talk. Likewise. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 